0: Welcome to Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. We are wrapping up uh, the series in Philippians, and so I want to begin with grace and peace to you. Uh, it seems a little remarkable to me that we are and even kind of sad that we're at the end of this 12-week series and really a remarkable little New Testament letter. Uh, we've learned so much about the context and the content and why you wrote and what they were going through. Um, I hope it has been terrific for you. It's been my first whole series at Hillcrest, so it's a bit of a celebration for me. Uh, but I really do hope that it's been good for you and good for your family And good for this community, and that it has encouraged the everyday realities of your faith. Uh, Not the nice theological ideas, but the wrestling out how do I really walk out faith now that Ephesians has the way of being a very Monday morning, or pardon me, Philippians, Monday morning applicable book. Uh, This morning we're going to finish the last section. Like I said, it's only four chapters, and we're going to pick it up in verse 10, just the last little section of his whole letter, and it is essentially a thank you uh, from Paul. He's got this last little bit, he's going to say, thank you for the gift that I received from Epaphroditus. He's going to unpack a little bit uh, about other gifts they've sent them, and then just some final like, hey, uh, tell these people I said hi, and a final grace and peace to you. So I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles, to Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. It will take a few of you uh, a moment to get there. So as you're turning to Philippians, um, I want to take this opportunity to just let you know that next Sunday, we are kicking off Advent. So the four weeks or month leading up, is that remarkable that that is already coming? Uh, Next Sunday, we kick off Scandal, God Was Born, four weeks leading up to the Christmas Eve service, Uh, We've hoped to make these very applicable, a great opportunity to invite somebody to church because we're going to handle, and and scandal is the right word, the scandal of this particular thing. Uh, God was born as a human being, that's already like a mouthful, uh, to a a regular, as a normal human, to a normal human family in a tiny little town called Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago, and that should raise some questions. Uh, and so we intend to hit those questions, and then really how that, uh, that his birth, this extraordinary, the most extraordinary moment in the universe, um, also sanctifies or redeems our time, our place, our people, and our family. So we're really looking forward to it. There's some invites uh, that look just like this out at the info stand, uh, and there'll be different magazines each week, but if you want to invite people, there's information on the back of it. When services are happening, Christmas Eve, all that sort of thing, and we want to keep encouraging you to make ordinary uh, missional living a part of life. It's just as easy to say, hey, love to have you join us. Uh, You don't have to lean in. There's no like four steps of the gospel on the back of this card. You know, it's just an invitation to church. So uh, snag one of those on your way out. Okay, so everybody now should be in Philippians uh, verse 10. I'm going to keep it super simple this morning. I hope you brought a Bible, but if you didn't, uh, the words will be on the screen behind me. The end of the letter to the church at Philippi. uh, A genuine thank you uh, from Paul, but also a theological reinforcement. So I said Paul is thanking the church, but Paul can't make anything simple. Uh, He's a consummate teacher. You're going to see, so it, it could have just been, thanks, I received that gift from you. It was really great. It came when I needed it. But uh, since he's got such a little bit of time, he's always inserting something inside. I'm going to say he makes kind of a thank you sandwich this morning. Uh, He puts a thank you on both sides, but in the middle, he still makes sure he includes this uh, rich theological teaching for him because he's trying to instruct this church. Uh, And so I want to point out the sandwich to you a little bit and then drill down just on one part. Uh, Let's pick it up in verse 10. Again, uh, the heading in your NIV probably says something like, thanks for their gifts. It's a simple thank you. Uh, Thank you for your gifts. And he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Pause. That sounds a little snarky, doesn't it? (laughs) I guess like, well, Paul's like, well, finally you got around to sending me some money is what it sounds like. Uh, And you got to read the rest of the sentence. It says, indeed, I'm sure you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Uh, What he's really saying here, the word for uh, renewed interest is actually bloom, like a blooming flower. And he's saying, it just seems to me you have been busy or not had the resources or we've been separated somehow. And the two words put together is, I'm really, really glad. Notice he chooses that same word, rejoicing. I'm really rejoicing that your concern for me had a chance to bloom afresh. Does that make sense? So there's the first piece of bread in his thank you sandwich. Oh, thank you that you had a chance to, your love to bloom for me again. I am exceedingly grateful. Um, But like I said, uh, he won't leave it. He has to insert the meat in the thank you sandwich. And he is keen to, Uh, continue to teach them. If you've been with us through the whole series, then you've seen how he's been cultivating this idea that he is satisfied if nobody helps him. Like, if nobody helped him, Paul is okay. If he's in pre- he is okay with Christ alone, he's gone over and over to say, I've laid down my life so that I can pick up the gospel. It's so much better. I don't need those things. I don't. He's really been so careful to cultivate that idea that it's funny. I, can you kind of see him writing the letter? Thank you so much. Because what he means is for sending me money. And in the minute he's finished saying, I needed that money, he's like, now hold on. And I'll wait to read the rest. Here's the meat. Now, hold on. Thanks for sending the money. Uh, he picks it up then in 11 through 13. I just, thank you sandwich. Think, Thank you sandwich. Now, I'm not saying this because I need it. This is where 11 picks up. Thank you for sending money. I'm not saying it because I need it. For I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. So whether I am well fed or I am starving, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So thanks for sending me money, but I don't rely on the money is basically what he's saying, right? Because he doesn't want to undo all that he's been doing for three and a half chapters, and so he comes back around to say, "Make sure you understand, I didn't need it." And then fourteen, verse fourteen, uh, becomes the beginning of the other half of the thank you sandwich. So he's seeing it: thank you, not that I needed it, just to be clear. And then he's like, as so though he felt guilty, he puts the other side of the thank you sandwich on. So verse fourteen says, "Yet it was good of you." To share in my troubles, thank you. I didn't need it, but it was really good of you to share. And that word flips us there: to share in my trials, the trials that are resulting from my ministry. And so, uh, I let me paraphrase this. Uh, Even though I am content in Christ alone in any circumstance, it was really good of you to participate in my trials with me. I want to underscore that the word he uses here, kalos, is a strong word for good. So it doesn't just seem like, eh, it was good. It means it was was praiseworthy, really decent. It was an excellent thing for you to do. It was excellent and praiseworthy for you to share my trials, which you did not need to. And here's where I want to camp out for the little bit of time that we have this morning is on verse 14, in the thank you sandwich. Thank you. I don't count on it, but man, and I'm going to, I don't, this is the new Christian version. It was super awesome that you decided to participate with me. Do you get it? I didn't need you to participate with me because I'm content in Christ, but I am really glad that you did. I want to be satisfied in Christ alone, but I am delighted that you decided to share in my life, my trouble, my journey uh, my real situation. He uses uh, again. I think Tim and I nerd out too much on this stuff. But he loves complicated words in this book. And I was looking back to the series and like, I think every sermon Tim and I have been like, oh, you got to look at this cool Greek word. And then some people are like, <laughs> and other people are like, oh, I love the Greek words. But he uses this really cool Greek word here uh, for to share in. It's a compound word. And when I first show it to you, it looks like a mouthful. I get it. Uh, It's the form that's making it complicated, but it means literally something like a co-participant or a co-partner, but it's built up out of a few uh, other words. The root word is koinonia, and I think we have a slide for that one as well. Uh, And if you had gone back and forth, you'd see that word koinonia in the middle of sun koinonia, uh, which is the act of doing it, the the participating in. Uh, oh, look, back and forth. Media team's on it today. Uh, so if I go back to Koinonia, he's what he did is he took a word that already means intimate fellowship and participation, and he's added a prefix, sun, which means with or co. So kind of like he did, remember when Tim taught in chapter 3, verse 17, that they are co-imitators with him, which is an unnecessary redundancy, Right? If you're already imitating, you're, you're co imitating along with somebody. Here, as though to underscore the unity of it, he is saying, we are soon konania. We are together with intimately together. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? We're like super fellowshipped. And I love this word because it said it uses a strong good. It was really, it is really good that we have a profoundly deep connection. That we are co-fellowed worshipers, co-participants in the mission, co-partners in the journey of life, intimately bound together in a common purpose and affinity. So what he's saying in verse 14 is it's really excellent, praiseworthy, and good that you have decided to be deeply connected in my trials. You could have avoided my trials easily, but instead you have decided to be deeply connected to them. Uh, this root word, koinonia, again, uh, is used frequently. This soon koinonia that he's using uh, is used only twice, I think. I'd have to check that. Don't quote me on that one. Just a couple of times. But koinonia is used frequently, at least 20 times the New Testament. And you'll recognize it from a couple of familiar chapters. Um, Acts 2.42, probably the most compelling description of the church the church is brand new uh, they're being persecuted but they're growing like crazy because the holy spirit is doing work and this is how they've lived let me read acts 2 42 through 47 for you it says they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship to the koinonia to the intimate fellowship to the and they describes it to the breaking of bread eating meals together and taking communion Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common, koinonia. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The koinonia of the first church, First uh, Corinthians one nine, takes the same idea of koinonia. Instead of describing the fellowship between the church, describes the fellowship between the believer and God. Same word. First Corinthians one nine says, "God is faithful, by whom you were called." into the fellowship, the koinonia, of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love that the New Testament uses the same word for an intimate bond of fellowship that makes somebody else participate in your life, in your trials, to describe both our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. This forms what I call, maybe only this morning because it will be too embarrassing, the human bow tie stick with me there is a real sense from the scripture or soon koinonia co-participants in which we are at one point koinonia with god because we have the holy spirit in us and because the holy spirit is anywhere the father and the son are we just got involved in his triune unity you with me Since God is in us and they are together, you just got pulled into the koinonia of the Godhead. I mean, that's good right there. I should just be done. The fellowship of the Godhead belongs to you, but the same spirit that is in you is in every Christian gathered around you so that your spirit is united to all of their spirits, providing the soon koinonia of the church. One church, one faith, one. So the spirit in you becomes the uniting point for both God in you and you participating, co participating, co walking, sun koinonia with your life with others. And I think uh, John 1 3 ties these two ideas together, and there's others, but this is a great one. 1 John 1 3 says, using the word koinonia both times, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us, the koinonia of the partnership, and our koinonia is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. So we are unified together because we are unified by the Holy Spirit, which unifies us to the Father and the Son. And I think that this is both a the, a profound top half to his thank you sandwich, as well as a simple and yet profound reminder to us, the church, as we end this series in Philippians, uh, that the two walk-away lessons for this entire book involved sun koinonia, this joint koinonia that we have with Christ, where we co-participate. Co imitate and co walk with his suffering and his life and his glory and his victory, and soon co participate with each other uh, in each other's lives. And this book is just an expression of this very simple idea that we are content with Christ alone, like Paul, and celebrate the fellowship. We are, just think of this as a walk-away lesson from Philippians. What, other than all these little practical lessons that we've given you, what do I know about me and the church as I walk away from this book? Well, one, you know that Jesus is our total satisfaction. If you were imprisoned like Paul, alone and abandoned and starving, Jesus is still enough. And not in a pretend religious way. He's saying, no, legitimately, I love walking a line to Jesus. Put me in the darkest hole. Take away every provision. I will still celebrate not just heaven to come. I'll celebrate living, breathing, worshiping right now. That even in my suffering, I am glorifying God. In my redeemed life, I'm glad to have purpose over my life in any circumstance. I am satisfied with Christ alone Content in any circumstance. You don't need to add something. When you do, I'll be grateful for it. When you take it away, I held it with an open hand, anyhow. I live satisfied with Christ alone. But then the whole book celebrates the counter side of it. But it's so good that I don't have to be alone. Like, I accept that I can live with Christ alone, but I am delighted that I am called to live in the soon koinonia, the co-fellowship, co-participant, co-partnership of the church. This whole book is a celebration of how much he loves them and how much they love him and how they have cared for him and participated. Even while he's saying, I am a participant with Christ, he is celebrating how uh, they participate also in his suffering. And I, I just think that what I want you to think about as you walk out, and what I think Paul would underscore is there is no place, like in the understanding that Christ is your total satisfaction, you might think it's just between me and Jesus. I know what I'll do on Sunday, hike Baker, and I can talk to God, my soul satisfaction. And he was saying, oh, you're half a bow tie. You know, like, uh, probably didn't say that. I regret saying it right now. <laughs> You were given to a people. You gave your life to me, and I gave it to them. And I've given you this great blessing that we are meant to do this together, co-partners, co-friends, co-eternal family. There's no space for rugged individualism, even for Paul. I think that in this series, we've done a lot to underscore how you carry your faith, your individual faith. How you buck up under uh, hardship because of the truth, but, you know that you can resist, not because you've got a great attitude, but because Christ is with you and you have the Holy Spirit, uh, and Christ is enough. But I want to underscore what Paul does at the end. We get to do this together. We get to celebrate that we walk to heaven together. I read a quote from somebody that says, "You want to go far, go together." Um, During World War II, the Nazi Germany was trying to figure out how do you get captive soldiers to give up information. And so they started by intense torture. I mean, like really almost get them to the edge of death and see if they would give up information. But they found that most men would stand under this incredible physical pressure and still not release their secrets. And so somebody came up with just putting them in solitary confinement isolate them alone take away the strength that they have because when you put them in one prison and you beat them all together they stand strong together they put them apart for up to just three or four days and pretty soon guys just started giving up all the information in isolation they had no strength to resist because their strength was found in their unity you're hearing me right So that as we consider this, our strength is found in our unity. A very interesting way to unpack, another way to unpack what is meant by koinonia in the Bible is to do a little Bible study on uh, the phrase one another. And I can't, I couldn't do them all, but find out what we are meant to be with one another in the New Testament and it will explain a little bit what Koinonia means to us. Here's just a few. You'll find the Bible is full of places where you're instructed to love one another. And I made that slide packed on purpose. To encourage one another, to provide material support, to provide prayer, spiritual reinforcement, to confess to one another for the hope of righteousness that we might have peace and healing to bear another's burdens and joys, to open our homes, to share our food, to share our clothes, lives with one another, to serve each other with humility, to consider the other as the greater, to be a gift to one another, to be patient with one another, and above all, to be committed to one another in the unity of Christ by the Holy Spirit to make a living and active and God-honoring human bow tie. Nothing makes jesus look like jesus and the church like his people than when we care for one another jesus said you know how they'll know that you're my followers by the way you love one another not by your building or not by your commitments or not by your theological statements which are all good but how you care for one another i want to assure you I try, and I bet you do too, to talk to people who do not know anything about church or the Lord, and hardly anybody I talk to desires to belong to a religious organization. But almost every person I talk to wants to be invited into a loving family. And we have the best and largest family on the face of the earth, the great Sun Koinonia of Christ. Co-partners, co-fellowshipped, co commissions, co-workers in the good news of Jesus Christ. I started this series by reminding us that to be a hub of hope, which is what I hope we become to be both a hub and spokes to expand, to share, to extend hope to others in our community and the world, we ourselves must embody and share hope here First. So as we end today, I'm going to invite Carlo and his team back up. But I hope that you will pause right now, and I'm actually going to do this, pause right now, look around this room, and be filled with gratitude for the people with whom you get to do this life, your soon koinonia. Your co fellowship church, your people, your journeyers, those who hold you up and those who help you. As you look around this room, if you have something standing in the way of your rejoicing or your fellowship, I suggest that you let it go or you go and do something about it. If you are new, uh, I'm going to say this in the least weird way possible. Uh, We want to be more than people who sit by you on Sunday. We want to be your sun koninia, your family, your partners, those fellowshipped with you. We want to walk through life and share the journey with you. We want to see your kids dedicated and your kids married and their kids grow up here. We are looking forward to being on mission with you. We want to say again that Jesus himself is enough, but you also get the blessing of us. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.